Father, we come to uh, study your word and reflect on an aspect of the story of the coming of Jesus. And uh, we just acknowledge, God, our hearts are hard oftentimes, our minds are occupied in such a way, preoccupied in such a way that uh, it's even hard to listen. It's hard to interact with what some guy standing up on a platform says. And and uh, Father, quite honestly, it doesn't really matter what I say. It matters what your word says and how your spirit applies that in our hearts. And so we would each of us ask that you speak to us uh, in ways that uh, connect with where we are, in ways that challenge us to be more like your son, Jesus. And would you do that now, Father? We pray in the name of Jesus, our King, Emmanuel, amen. Well, we're in the third week of a series called Home for Christmas. Some of you are already home for Christmas. Uh, some of you will be traveling later this week in order to get home for Christmas. Some of you are trying to figure out how to get part of your family into somebody else's home for Christmas. Uh, that's just sort of how this season of the year is. It's kind of a complex time of the year. Holly and I will be going up to the mountains uh, later on Christmas Day after worship here in the morning to spend some time with uh, family up there. Her mom and dad will be up there. Uh, her sister and brother-in-law will be up there with their kids, and then our kids and grandkids, some of them will be up there, and it'll be a lot of people, it'll be a lot of food, it'll be a lot of chaos, it'll be a lot of presents, but it'll also be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun, and we, uh, we, that's kind of one of our traditions. At our Christmas, uh, there's also an, kind of a tradition of buying people crazy, crazy presents. Often, these presents come from garage sales. If you know my wife, Holly is the queen of garage sales. Uh, one year we gave our son-in-law, Cal, uh, a rabbit fur jockstrap. <laughs> yep, I did say that, yep. Well, and uh, I don't think he wears it, but he does have it. Uh, you're not wearing it now, are you, Cal? No, good, good. That's a horrible uh, Another year we gave Holly's brother a stuffed ground hog. Uh, and it looked like it was a Boy Scouts or a Cub Scouts you know, first attempt ever to do taxidermy or anything. I mean, this was the most hideous, ugly critter you've ever seen. But it was, it was mounted and stuff. We gave that to, uh, to Holly's brother. We, have, uh, we gave this to our youngest son, uh, Graham. This is, a, this is a squirrel purse, uh, you know, a little bag. And we just love to give uh, these kinds of things. These presents are, of course, presents that none of them want. Uh, they're presents that they would like to give back or take back, but of course you, you can't take them back if they're from a garage sale, can you? I imagine most of us have received presents for Christmas that we didn't really want. Am I right? You've all had presents you didn't really want. When you get one, you're always hoping, oh man, I hope there's a, a gift receipt because that way I can get rid of the unwanted gift. I can get the money or I can take it back and get something I actually would use or would actually want. For many of us, the gift exchange is just part of the Christmas season. I'm told that some people even enjoy that process. Uh, not me so much, but um, I want you to hold on to that thought, unwanted presence. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but shift gears with me now. Uh, I want to add another element into this conversation. Psychologists tell us that Christmas time is, in fact, an intensifying time of the year. Highs feel higher and lows sometimes feel lower. Some of you are going to be on a Christmas high this week. Uh, maybe you're celebrating your first Christmas with a child, 
or with a grandchild or your first Christmas as a married couple. Some of you have a loved one who's going to be home and you haven't seen them for a long, long time. And so you are looking forward to just gathering and being with them in the house together. That is going to be a very special thing. Some of you maybe got a new job and so the prospects for the upcoming year look really, really good and that's great. Or maybe you have some new friends and you feel like you're in a better place this year, better circumstances this year than last year. And Christmas just feels like a time to celebrate the goodness of life, the goodness of God, the blessings of God. But Christmas also has this strange power of making our lows feel sometimes even lower. It can bring up what's broken in us. It can bring up what's missing or feels missing inside us or the things in life that we actually don't want to be experiencing or don't want to be going through, but we are. Uh, Maybe you recently lost your job and now you're not sure what the future holds. That's hard stuff to process. Maybe this year you've experienced the end of a relationship or even the loss of a loved one, Uh, just a change in your health or something that wasn't expected, but now you find yourself having to process it and deal with it. Maybe this year it feels like last year or the year before, the year before that, and you're not sure if this year is going to be any different. And that creates kind of a cynicism in you. When's it going to get better? When's it going to change? It's interesting. We all face situations and circumstances we don't ask for, things we don't anticipate. And unlike the presence that we can take back, these things don't come with a gift receipt. We really don't get to give them back. We're kind of stuck with them. But here's what's so interesting, I think, about the Christmas story. It's one of those stories. We romanticize it a lot, you know, Uh, but the Christmas story is actually one of those unwanted gift stories. And I want to look into that with you this morning. We've talked before about Mary's burden of being the mother of Jesus. She was only engaged to be married when an angel comes to her and says, Mary, you are going to be with child. You're going to give birth to the son of God. No pressure there. And uh, at Mary's side, of course, was her fiance, Joseph. And we're going to dig into Joseph's story just a little bit this morning. Joseph's story often gets overlooked at Christmas. Uh, We often don't think much about his role in this story. And part of the reason is Joseph is a pretty quiet figure. Uh, In fact, in the entire New Testament, there's no record of Joseph ever saying anything. Now, we know he said things, but we don't have a record of anything that he said. And if we look closely, we'll see that Joseph was not a passive bystander in this story. He wasn't just in the background. In fact, he faced what for him was one of the most unwanted gifts he could ever have imagined. And how he handled this changed his life. And in fact, it significantly shaped the Christmas story. So do you want to dive into this? Okay, that makes this a longer process. I mean, we could have ended right there, but. (laughs) So we're going to read Matthew chapter one. We're going to start at verse 18 and read down to 25. And then we're going to reflect on what we read here. So this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, 
And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, many of you have heard this before. Many of you have read this before. And it's, uh, it's, it's so familiar. In fact, we almost lose the sense of controversy uh, that surrounds this. We don't grasp the explosiveness of Matthew's language here in announcing what he announces. Uh, Matthew begins by saying, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the one we've been waiting for for century upon century upon century. This is how his birth came about. That right there alone is kind of a grabber, right? It's finally, finally happened. And that's the preface. Then he goes on to say his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged to be married is quite different than engagements that we know of in our day. It's actually what was called a betrothal. A betrothal. Uh, today, engagements are primarily about starry-eyed couples planning an event to bankrupt their parents. It's primarily what that is. But that's not what Mary and Joseph are doing or experiencing here. They did not meet on Match.com. Uh, they did not meet at synagogue. They did not meet at a dance or something. They weren't friends at school, and then they started dating, and then they fell in love, and then they got engaged. That's not the story for Joseph and Mary. They were pledged to one another by their families, you understand. Uh, they were most likely teenagers. Joseph's probably around the age of 18, something like that. That's when a lot of young men and and uh, Israel at that time would get married or get betrothed. Uh, Mary's probably 13, 14 years old, and they likely did not even know each other well at all. Uh, but this pledge to be married had the same legal weight or authority as an actual marriage. Uh, the two parties in a betrothal would be referred to as husband and wife. And we see that here in the story we just read. And they could only be separated at this point by a certificate of divorce. That's all that could break a betrothal. In this betrothal period, which would sometimes last a year, could maybe last as much as up to two, uh, they didn't live together. They didn't consummate, consummate their marriage, uh, which means that the, the one thing that wasn't supposed to happen is a pregnancy, which presents a very, very, very serious problem for Joseph. Matthew notes that Joseph was a righteous man. We've actually studied this before uh, some years ago. We read that though and we think, oh, he's a righteous man. He's a good guy. He, he goes to church. He's really polite to his neighbors and blah, 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 you know. But that's not what Matthew is telling us when he tells us that Joseph is a righteous man. That word righteous is actually a technical term. It refers to someone's reputation in this day. Uh, the word uh, in Hebrew is tzaddik, and it means righteous. A tzaddik was someone known for their devotion, their faithfulness to keeping the law, the Torah, in every detail. They wouldn't uh, eat unclean foods. They wouldn't hang out with disreputable people. Uh, they wouldn't associate with Gentiles. They wouldn't violate Sabbath laws. They would observe and keep the festivals of Israel. Many people ignored them, but not a tzaddik. 
A sadiq, a righteous man, would not enter into a marriage with a woman who is pregnant. Not going to happen. And Joseph is a righteous man. A sadiq. And uh, he worked hard to earn that reputation. It was Joseph's dream, almost certainly, that when he would get married, he would now have a tzaddik family, a righteous family. They would love God and serve God, and they would obey the law of God together. And we can only imagine what Joseph experienced when he first heard the news about Mary. We assume Mary told him. We don't know that for sure, but we assume so. And I'm sure, too, it wasn't long before he started hearing the gossip. I would just be certain there was plenty of gossip, plenty of speculation. Nobody's buying Mary's angel story, you see. So what on earth does Joseph do with this? Everything about his future, you understand, looking forward is now threatened. A baby conceived by the Holy Spirit? I mean, even if that's true, who is going to believe it? Nobody. There are really only two possibilities. Either Mary has been with another man or Joseph is not so righteous. That's what everyone's thinking. But even Mary is admitting that Joseph is not the father. So the gossip out there is just running wild. Who is the father? Now, in that day, a storyline like this had really, really serious, really clear implications to it. In Deuteronomy 22, uh, it describes the punishment for a woman caught in adultery. It says, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. Go ahead, swallow hard. That's like, wow, wow. Now, even in Jesus' day, understand, this punishment was very, very rarely carried out. But public exposure to shame Public exposure to disgrace in a situation like this, that was common. That was expected. That would always happen. In that day, a woman caught or believed to be committing adultery would have been brought to a public place, probably stripped of her clothing to embarrass her, to humiliate her in front of others, to mock her, and uh, even possibly physically bodily harmed. Uh, We look at a story last week in John chapter 8 where just such a woman was brought to Jesus. You can read about it. And the Pharisees wanted to see what Jesus would do with this woman caught in adultery because they know what the law says. And Jesus is a rabbi. And Jesus is all about keeping the law of God. So what will Jesus do? Will he condemn her and have her stoned to death? And uh, as you recall, last week, what did Jesus do? Nobody paid attention last week. He showed incredible, remarkable grace to this woman. He said, where are your, where are your condemners? And they had all left. And he says, well, then I do not condemn you either. And he loved her and he probably, certainly changed her life. Now, by the way, I alluded to this last week, but have you ever wondered why Joseph, when the census was being taken, um, traveled with his nine-month pregnant wife from Nazareth down to Bethlehem? You ever wondered that when there was no real legal requirement for the woman to make that journey with her husband? You see, could it be that Joseph feared for Mary's safety? We don't know the answer to that, but I highly suspect that was the case. 
And maybe given the circumstances, things just weren't that safe for Mary there in Nazareth. Maybe members of her family were not supportive. We don't know. Some of them were. Zachariah and Elizabeth would have been. Were others supportive as well? We don't know. Uh, maybe they didn't buy the angel or the Holy Spirit story. Uh, maybe they didn't really want to jump in and protect and help her given the public opinion uh, that was out there about Mary. We don't exactly know, but it's certainly possible that things for Mary weren't very good or very stable or very healthy there in their hometown of Nazareth. So what did Joseph do? Well, the law was painfully obvious and clear about what he should do. For a righteous man, a tzaddik, you obey the law. That's what you do. But instead of doing that, Joseph shows incredible grace. Incredible grace. Incredible compassion. He decides actually to spare Mary from the public disgrace of this situation. And he decides to divorce her quietly. Now, he could subject Mary to public shame and disgrace. And by doing that, he would have exonerated himself in front of everyone else. He would have established and kept in place this righteousness that he had. He would have protected his reputation. But he chose to do something vastly more gracious. But make no mistake, even in this act of compassion, Joseph is still deeply troubled, deeply disappointed, frustrated, if you will. He most certainly wants this situation, this storyline to disappear, to go away. Give me a gift receipt, if you will. But even a quiet divorce is still a divorce, right? And so when Matthew says that Joseph, and it says, had in mind or considered in his mind divorcing Mary quietly, that word that we translate had in mind or considered, that word has a sense of being frustrated, a sense of being angry, a sense of almost fuming. Fuming frustration. In fact, that word only appears one other time in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is confronting the uh, religious leaders who are accusing him of blaspheming God because Jesus has healed a man saying, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And they accuse him of blaspheming him, uh, blaspheming God. And Jesus says to them, why do you entertain evil thoughts? Same word, entertain evil thoughts in your heart. So you see, what's really being said here is, Joseph, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart as you process this situation with Mary? That's what's going on. And I'll tell you why he did. This isn't hard to figure out. It's because his story, his future, his hopes, the dreams that he has had his whole life long, all of these have just crashed before his very eyes. And he's frustrated. He is hurt. He doesn't like where his life is headed now with this new wrinkle. So question, have you ever been in the place that Joseph finds himself in? That moment when circumstances changed for what seemed like the worst and it just hurt you the most. Have you ever been in a situation like this? We have a family member who's going through a situation with her health and she's received a, uh, a terrible diagnosis. And it's, it's not immediately life-threatening or terminal, but it has changed her quality of life dramatically. Uh, there are no cures. All you can do is try to manage the symptoms. And the worst part is there's no end in sight for this. Just pain and discomfort and the gut-wrenching thought that this is now the new normal. Not a great place to be. 
No returns, no gift receipts, just disappointment. And it's in seasons like that that it is so easy to fall into a place of discouragement or cynicism or depression. You know, we hear the words of Christmas songs that tell us to be merry, to be joyful, to be at peace. And, and that at first, when you're in a situation like that, almost feels trite, which is why we have to hear the, the real story and remind ourselves of the real story of Christmas the unwanted gift story of Christmas. When we hear the real story, it kind of helps us make sense of what's even happening in our own lives. Now, what happens to Joseph in the midst of his disappointment and his discouragement? That's what we want to pay attention to. Notice that when he least expects it, God shows up, right? When he least expects it, God shows up. Not when life is tidy and put together and, and he's kind of in that place of feeling good about his own righteousness. Not when Joseph is cool, calm, and collected. Not when he's sitting in a church worshiping or a synagogue. Not when everything is great, but when he is closest to disappointment and discouragement. And friends, this is just often how our God works. He meets us in places of disappointment and discouragement. That's when he draws close to us. That's when God wants to say something to us, wants to speak to us. And the question is always, of course, are we listening? Are we listening? I know in my life when disappointment comes, uh, those are the moments I sometimes, I don't, I don't want to listen. Uh, those are the moments when I, I want to go my own way. Those are the moments I'm tempted to believe that God is far away, that God doesn't care, that he's not noticing, that he's not aware of what I'm going through. Uh, you know, he clearly could have shown up. He clearly could have prevented these circumstances that I don't like even from happening. But no, I'm stuck now. I'm up to my eyeballs in this. I've got no way out except I'm just going to have to pull myself up and uh, get myself out of this. Thank you very much, God. And when I have an attitude like that, I'm, I'm certainly not listening. What we see in this story is the is the fact that if or when we stop listening, it can radically impact what does or doesn't happen in our lives. Because you see, the Christmas story only moves forward as Joseph listens to God and does what God tells him to do. I can't stress this enough for us this Christmas. Make time, especially if you're stressed, if you're struggling, if you're in a difficult situation, make time to practice listening to God. Get away by yourself, block off time at, at work, lock yourself in the bathroom. Some of you will be doing that later on next week, just so you have some time to yourself. Get somewhere to listen for what God is trying to say to you. Because when you're closest to disappointment, God is drawing close to you. That is what our God does. He wants to speak to you. In our story, he has a, a particular message or a particular word for Joseph, if you will. The angel tells Joseph there's three things that he's supposed to do. Gives him three messages. He says, number one, don't be afraid. Angels always say that. Number two, he says, take Mary as your wife. And number three, he says, name Jesus as your son. And let's just look at these three things quickly. Number one, don't be afraid. Why this? Well, <laughs> obvious. Because the next two decisions that Joseph's gonna have to make are going to be the costliest decisions he's ever made in his entire life. 
These would be the most difficult decisions he's ever made. For Joseph to take Mary as his wife and to take Jesus as his son means he is binding himself to a woman who is thought by everyone to be an adulteress. And he is binding himself to a child who is thought to be illegitimate. The cost of this will ruin his reputation. Consider this. None of his Sadiq friends would have attended the wedding because that would be a disgrace. His family may have, we don't know, but they may have, some of them surely shunned him, uh, may have even disowned him for this. Joseph, the boy who had always been known as the good kid, the righteous kid, the faithful and devout uh, child, would never again be thought of as a righteous man, a tzaddik. We actually see this play out in the New Testament. In Jesus' ministry, when he's older, he's preaching in the home, his hometown of Nazareth. This was, of course, where Joseph was from. And uh, after Jesus has preached, people are a little frustrated. They're asking questions and they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't Jesus this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, they ask in Mark chapter 6. And it's interesting, they don't say Joseph's son, which would have been the ordinary way to refer to Jesus. In that day, Israelite boys were always described as sons of their father. In fact, in the passage we read a moment ago, you'll notice the angel describes Joseph as son of David, right? But in Nazareth, the people say, isn't this Mary's son? You have to ask, what happened to Joseph? Have they forgotten him? Or maybe they won't even say his name any longer. He used to be one of the good guys, one of the tzaddik, right? But not now. Now he's disgraced. He's shameful. Perhaps even forgotten. His name and reputation, what he valued most, is forever disgraced, you see. And he'd never get that back. There was a cost, a great cost associated with Joseph listening to, trusting in, and then obeying what the angel told him. And it's interesting that after the Christmas story, we don't hear much from Joseph. He's briefly mentioned in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is 12 years old. Uh, but Joseph kind of fades into the background. And truthfully, he's still in the background today when we think about the Christmas story. Uh, what's it called when a, uh, when a quarterback throws a last-second, last-minute pass? It's caught in the end zone, and they win the game. Yeah, not hail Joseph, you see. He's forgotten. But I can tell you this, there was one person who never forgot, and I mean never forgot what Joseph did. And that was the child that Joseph took in as his son and cared for and loved on and raised. That little boy named Jesus. Jesus never forgot what he saw in his father, Joseph. His father had a righteousness that far surpassed the righteousness of the Pharisees. His father didn't choose to follow the letter of the law, which at the very least would have required him to publicly disgrace Mary and this child. Instead, his father came to the defense of this woman who supposedly committed adultery, a child that everyone believed was illegitimate, and Joseph had compassion on them, and Joseph took, him, uh, took on himself their shame and their disgrace, their dishonor, their scandal, so that they could live, you see. Does that sound familiar to you? One time, Jesus said this. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. He uh, he says, I tell you the truth, the son came to do nothing by himself. 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Now, he's referring to his heavenly father there. But maybe this means a little more than it seems at first. Maybe. Um, Maybe Jesus is also thinking somewhere in the back of his mind there of Joseph, his earthly father. Maybe Joseph's life wasn't that silent after all. Maybe the impact of Joseph, the example of Joseph on his son, Jesus, is also seen in a statement like that. Joseph's decision to obey the angel, you know, don't be afraid, take Mary as your wife, name Jesus as your son. His faith in that difficult situation changed history. It changed the whole story. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus said this. He said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Yes, you know, it's true in a way. Joseph's decision, his actions here, it cost him everything. It it forever changed his life. But it also led in Joseph's life to, to great purpose. And I have to believe great satisfaction actually led to Christmas. It led to what we're we're celebrating here. God come down to earth as a human being. You see, Joseph became part of that important story because he let go of his life and put all of his trust, all of his faith in what the angel said. Where does that leave you and me when life brings us unwanted gifts? When the unwelcome circumstances come our way. I think the angel's instructions to Joseph could still be even applied by us. Still very relevant to us. Number one, don't be afraid. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what situation you face, no matter how much it looks like the future is in doubt because of your circumstances. Don't be afraid. You know, I, I know in seasons... Uh, Like that, it can be easy to fall victim to our fear, to think the worst, to think that God doesn't care, to think that God is not with us. But there again, Christmas changes all of that with the coming of Jesus, who is in fact, of course, God with us. He is Emmanuel. Jesus demonstrates once and for all to us that God is interested That God cares about our sin, cares about our brokenness, cares about our difficult situations. That God cares about you. God is close right now, whether we can see it or whether we feel it or not. I grew up in the Midwest and every summer we would get tornadoes. Some of you maybe can relate to this. I remember one day I was very young, a tornado came through our area and I remember the tornado siren. I lived in a a town which at that time was pretty small in Indiana. Today it's actually a large suburb of Indianapolis, but it was called Carmel, Indiana. And there was a downtown siren that would go off if something like a tornado came and you could hear it for, you know, uh, it seemed like miles around. So the tornado siren goes off. My mom grabbed me. We went down into the basement. She brought a mattress uh, down there or there was one down there that we we got under and behind and outside the storm is raging and the wind is howling and so on. And, and it was one of the first times as a little child that I can remember thinking, wow, the world is scary. 
world is dangerous, right? Because we're down here hunkering down for our lives, I guess. But the funny thing was, uh, I don't remember being terrified or anything like that. In fact, I kind of remember it fondly in the sense of feeling secure. And that wasn't because the, we were in the basement or we were covered up with a mattress. Uh, it was uh, primarily because I was with someone I knew loved me more than anybody else. She was right there with me. And you know, Jesus never promised us there would be no tornadoes or no storms in our lives. He didn't say that, you know, you won't experience unwanted gifts. You won't experience difficult circumstances. You won't experience uncertainty. But what he did promise us, he, he, he would always be there with us. I mean, he is, after all, Emmanuel, Right? which is why we don't have to be afraid. Doesn't matter what we're going through. We don't have to be afraid. We are never, ever alone or experiencing the difficulty without Jesus there. Second thing, Jesus said, take a risk to Joseph. When the angel says to Joseph, take Mary as your wife, he was saying, take a risk, take a big risk. He's basically saying, this is going to feel odd. This is going to be difficult for you, Joseph. It will feel like you're losing everything you value but you're going to have to trust me. You can't do this halfway. You, you can't hedge your bets. So you're either all in on this or you're not. Um, but you will have to trust that I can do something good with this as I walk with you through this difficulty. I can redeem this, Joseph. And the fact is, when we trust God in a difficult situation, we are trusting, we are risking that there's going to be something good come out of our trusting, come out of our difficult circumstances. That's always the Christian hope. That's foundational to the Christian faith. Even though the right now circumstances feel awful, they're terrible, that's what Christmas at first felt like to Joseph, you see. But we know something good can come out of this. Question, what's the risk that you might need to take this Christmas season? Anything? Any area where you're struggling? Maybe for you the, the risk is simply to keep praying even though it feels like God is taking forever. You know, you've been praying some prayer for years and years. He's not answering. Maybe the risk for you is just to keep praying, keep trusting Maybe for you, the risk is not falling into bitterness or cynicism, even if it feels like your situation is maybe never going to change. Or maybe for you, the risk is loving someone who's really, really difficult for you to love. Or maybe the risk for you is reaching out and helping someone, serving, even when it feels like your own reserves are kind of low. But you're sensing him saying to you, no, serve, give, help, love. Maybe for you, the, the risk is asking someone for forgiveness who you know you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to seek reconciliation. The point is just this. Whatever God tells you to do, regardless how risky or difficult it seems, do it. Trust him. You know, the conclusion of your story is not written yet. None of our stories, conclusions are written yet. The same was true for Joseph in his circumstances long, long ago. Joseph has to decide. And what he decides did alter the course of history. He didn't know that at the time. 
But he had to decide, will I trust? Will I obey in what feels like the most risky of circumstances? What will happen if I do? I'm sure he asked himself that question. He doesn't know. But he trusts. <laughs> and we know the end of the story. It changed everything for him. Everything. It really did. And uh, in losing his life, he actually found his life. Imagine that. And we are called to walk with the same dynamic, be willing to lose our life, take the risk, walk in obedience, and in so doing, we will find our life in Jesus. And all of this, this story around Joseph, reminds us that our faith matters, our courage matters, our perseverance in the face of difficulty matters. God will always use it. God will always honor our trust, our faith, our obedience. He did that for Joseph. Take a risk. And then the last thing just uh, that the angel said to Joseph, uh, he was saying to Joseph, really, commit yourself to this child. Commit yourself to Jesus. For some of you, this probably means recommit yourself. You know, where, where do you stand in terms of your fundamental commitment to Jesus? What kind of priority is Jesus in your life? I mean, you may have years ago decided to follow him. What kind of priority is he today? You know, when the angel says to Joseph, you shall name him Jesus, that was actually a legal formal act for a father to declare the name of, in this case, his son. Uh, to publicly declare the name of the child was for Joseph to embrace this child and say, I am his, he is mine. And when Joseph does that, he's binding himself to this little boy. His future is now forever tied to the fate and the future of this child. And there's no going back. There's no gift receipts on this. Now, I got a question for you. As much as it cost him, as much as this decision cost Joseph, as much as there were consequences for Joseph, do you think he regretted it? Do you? We're in church for crying out loud. What's the obvious answer? <laughs> no, of course not, pastor. Yeah. Do you think he regretted seeing this boy grow strong and wise? Do you, do you think he regretted the the conversations, the laughter, the interaction, probably the puzzlement. I mean, I bet there were lots of times when Jesus just stymied him by maybe something he said or something he did. And probably Joseph just observed. You think he regretted all the long walks, all the conversations surely they had, or even teaching Jesus to be a carpenter? You think he regretted that? I don't think so. In fact, what a moment it must have been because this moment did occur for Joseph, this moment where he came to the realization that this child who was born in scandal and surrounded by all kinds of rumors, this pregnancy, this child that at first seemed to destroy all of his hopes and all of his dreams was actually God, his savior, savior of the world. This child, turns out, was actually Joseph's only hope for ever knowing God, for ever being actually tzaddik, righteous, for ever living a life that really mattered. This child was really his only hope. How ironic that is. I mean, Jesus seemed at first to Joseph to be the worst news he could ever imagine, but Jesus turns out to be the best news he has ever heard, ever heard. 
And so all the challenges that Joseph faced, the difficulties that were real, very, very real at the time, were nothing in comparison to the glory he saw in the son who became his savior. And I I would say the same to you. You will not make a mistake by putting a stake in the ground and saying, I will follow Jesus. He will be my savior, my master. He will own me. He will have my life. He will have my obedience. He will have my trust. I will worship him. That won't be a mistake. It's not something you'll regret. This Christmas, do you think taking a risk to put aside your fears, to take a step of faith, to follow Jesus no matter where he leads, do you think you're really going to regret that? I think, friends, if we just trust, if we're not afraid, and, and if we will just take a risk and put our faith in him and do what he calls us to do, if we commit ourselves to Jesus, Jesus regardless of the circumstances that we face, we will discover that God actually always has a plan has a purpose in mind, that he is doing something we can't see, that there is redemption and hope even in the worst things that happen to us. Whatever it is you're going through this season, it's possible this season or this struggle may become the very moment where you discover that God is more present than you ever imagined. In fact, he's more capable than you'd ever expect. He's more loving Uh, than you ever thought. He's more wise than you can fathom. This season, this struggle, even though it feels scary or overwhelming, could be the moment where you actually find hope and peace and contentment like never before in this one called Jesus. That actually was the case with Joseph. That's what happened with Joseph. And here's the thing. I've seen God do this. I've seen God take things in my life uh, that at the time seemed dark or seemed fearful And out of it, he brought so much light and so much good, and not just for me, but also for the people that I love. And God can do this in your life too, just like he did for Joseph. So don't be afraid. Take the risk, do whatever it is Jesus asks you to do. Commit yourself to Jesus. Tie yourself to the fate and the future of this child who was born in this season we call Christmas. Amen? I think I'm going to invite, the, am I inviting the choir back up, Dustin? The choir can come back up. And while they're doing that, would you just bow with me? Let's just pray. Let's take a moment and just talk to God. Remember, when you're closest to disappointment, God is actually closest to you. He doesn't need you to mix words or say it just the right way. For some of you right now, what's on your heart, maybe there's a groaning that can go so deep that there there aren't even words to express it, but God knows exactly what you're expressing. The reason he came into the world, the reason he was born surrounded by scandal and rumor was to put his life at risk, was to take a risk on you, so to speak, a decision he never regretted, even though it cost him his life. And I don't know what the risk will look like for you, but I know that you can trust him with it. And I know what you need to surrender right now, he is capable of handling. I know that Jesus came into the world for moments like this. What would it look like right now to commit ourselves to him, to name him as Savior and Lord and 
and to tie our fate and our future to his. Jesus, we trust you. We bear our lives before you. We come before you with all of who we are and all of who we're not, all that we fear and all that we hope. Help us take a risk to trust you more and more and more. Jesus, we're grateful that you came into this world, into our lives, filled with scandal and shame and rumor and disappointment to walk with us each step of the way. We are so grateful, Jesus, for you, for your life, for your love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.